panda dancing with her too. And that is, uh, can't tell you the thrill that is for me. And she hugged me and kissed me then. She said, thank you, Pop Pop. It's a little hard to follow that up. <clears throat> Every one of us in here have been through various stages of captivity in our life when we have found ourselves held captive by something that we've been struggling to get free of. Could be an attitude, could be a fear, could be a worry, could be a physical thing. Just different things that from time to time hold us captive that we battle with, that we struggle against. And sometimes you wonder, am I going to win this battle? Am I going to be able to get through this process? But the Word teaches us that Jesus delights in setting the captives free. And so, boy, when you reach that monumentous occasion, when you find yourself finally free of something, you're ready to kick up your heels and shout and enjoy life. Amen? Amen. I want you to turn to Jeremiah 29, a very, very, very familiar scripture, verse 11. And we're going to uh, read uh, 29, 11 uh, through... Um, 14. But we're going to focus on just verse 11 this morning, kind of like we did a few weeks ago when the Lord showed me uh, some things um, in Psalms that we looked at. And I want to do the same thing again today. We were looking at Psalm 121 about the posture and things. I guess that was last week. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare or peace, depending on what version you have. And not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and you will find me when you search with me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring, bring you back to the place where I sent you in exile. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Uh, the Word of God burned in his bones, according to the Word. And Jeremiah is writing during a difficult time, about 597 uh, B.C., and he's going to be writing in a period of time when uh, Jerusalem, or when Judah... Uh, goes into captivity in Babylon for a period of 70 years. And so he actually begins this chapter by telling them what's going to take place. And there had been some false prophets in the region, and they said these things weren't going to happen. And Jeremiah said, well, I wish that would be the case, but it's not. So if you read back in chapter 28, you'll find those things beginning to unfold. So they had some false prophets uh, that were actually trying to say when there's going to be peace, when there wasn't going to be peace. And so they were going into a, a period of captivity. Now, why were they going into captivity? As you know, the story of Israel, and then when uh, it was Israel and Judah, when the tribes were split after Solomon was king, they were always having this battle among themselves, if you will, of they would follow God and love God, and then they'd turn away from God. And then they would follow God, and then they'd turn away from God. Then they'd look to idols, and then they'd look back to God. 
And this went on and on and on. And God, from time to time, would get so fed up with that. Now, if you think he isn't fed up with the stuff we do in America, he is the same way. And so now they're going to go into exile. <coughs> and they're going to go into captivity for this period of time in Babylon. Babylon at that time was this great, beautiful commercial center, if you will. Commercial center of the region at the time. Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember, was a king in Babylon. And so they were going into Babylon, and they were going to be there, and he said, while you're there, I want you to marry, I want you to raise kids, I want you to do those things, live your life as best you can, but the day's coming, I'm going to bring you back. So what does God say to us when we find ourselves in the same places and we go into captivity, sometimes of our own making, sometimes not, and God says, but I want to bring you back. I want to bring you out. And so here's what God says, and God's speaking to them now through the prophet Jeremiah, and he's recording these words. For I know the plans. Do you think there's anything in your life that God does not know about you? Anybody? Anything in your life that God doesn't know about you? Is, does God know what you're going to do tomorrow? He's omniscient. He knows. He knows every step we're going to take. He knows every word we're going to speak. He knows ahead of time every mistake we're going to make. Doesn't he? Because he's omniscient. So he said, I know. That word know is an intimate type term of knowing. It's kind of like when Adam knew his wife and that it was a sexual connotation. thing. God said, I know, I know, I know. I know everything about you. I know all the intricacies of your life. I put every cell in your body. I put every cell in your brain. I've, done, I've made everything about you and I know exactly what makes you tick. Nobody knows me like she does. She's been with me for 41 years. She knows, almost 41, she knows everything about me that she can know. But you know what? She don't even know all the faults I have, but God does. He knows every one of them. Before you ever think it, he knows. So he says, I know the plans. We've got a lot of young people in here. Well, I say a lot, I mean, you know, that's relative, but Michelle and Sean and Sarah and Anna and Rebecca and these children in the back. Terry, you believe God's got plans for you? He says he does, right? God doesn't lie. So he says he's got plans for you, Michelle. He's got plans for you. And you're sitting there wondering, I don't know what they are. I'd like to know too. You know what? I just turned 58 a few weeks ago. You know what? God's not through with me yet. He's still got plans for me. Wherever you are in this stage of your life, God's got plans for you. Probably the oldest person in here this morning is Miss Lois. Miss Lois, God still has plans for you. Plans for you. She can look back 80 some odd years and see where he's brought her from, but yet he still has plans for her tomorrow. Plans. When I was in uh, eighth grade, we had... Uh, Industrial arts. I don't know if they have industrial arts now. This was regular, regular high school. It wasn't, uh, you know, special ed school. It was just regular high school. We had industrial arts. And you could take industrial arts. The eighth grade, you took three different classes. You took woodwork, you took uh, electricity, and you took mechanical drawing. Then in the ninth grade, you chose one of those three and you took it all year long. Uh, anybody want to guess what I took? Nope. 
electricity, because, I mean, I was just fascinated with it. So we built radios and things like that. Of course, they ended up in electronics in the military because it fascinated me and actually came back to the base in electronics. So I took electricity. But in that mechanical drawing class, it was basically a drafting class, and you learn to make plans. I had difficulty because I can't draw straight lines even with rulers. But in that, it gave me an idea of what it might be like to be a draftsman, and I was kind of enthralled with all the draftsman tools, the compasses and the, the different kind of, because most of them were silver, and that was just kind of shiny, and I liked that. And I thought about possibly being an architect, you know, at one time, except the fact that I couldn't draw anything. Even with the help of all that stuff, I couldn't do it. But it's nice when you build a home to have blueprints to go by. Somebody draws them up and draws them up well, and God says, hey, I got a blueprint for your life. A blueprint for your life. Now, here's the deal. God says no man builds a house without counting the cost, right? And he said, you've got to put your house on the rock rather than on the sand, because if you build it on the sand, what happens? You have no foundation, it crumbles down. When we built our house, we had plans. Now, we designed them, kind of what we had, and, you know, we gave them to a guy, and he puts them on AutoCAD, and he does all the stuff. And, you know, you, I don't know anybody who does plans that doesn't look back and say, hey, I'd have done this different after they get it built. But suppose you decide you're going to build that house and you've drawn your plans and you're going to throw them away and say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to use this one. I'm just going to shoot for, you know, from the hip here and we'll just build it, do what we can. You think you'd have a good house? Uh-uh. Well, why do we do that in life? Why do we think if God says, I've got plans, I've got plans, well, Lord, I want to scrap your plans and use my own. Go ahead. See how that comes out for you. It won't work well. It won't work well. I said, I've got plans. Well, suppose you have not followed God's plans for 60 years. You can change when you're 61. God's got a purpose for our lives. When Katie, as all y'all know, back in September, the one that just sung with me, we got the shocker of our lives in September when she got very sick and they diagnosed her with juvenile diabetes and she had blood sugar of 500. Man, my heart starts to race, and she looked emaciated. She weighed 50 pounds when I got out of the hospital. After months, after some tests for several weeks, and couldn't find anything, and then all of a sudden, bam, there it was. It didn't catch God by surprise. And you know what I believe? God's got plans for Katie. Christy was talking to Katie about diabetes, and she said, you know, uh, Halle Berry has diabetes. Yes, she does. Yeah, one of Miss Americas has diabetes. She told her about uh, different people that, that were diabetics. Because she said, Katie, you know what that means? She said, yeah, it means I'm going to be famous. <laughs> <laughs> that was her first thought. She said, they're all famous. I guess I'm going to be famous too. If I get diabetes, I'll be famous. But God knows the plans he's got for her. And you know, back in September... I was hoping she'd sing with me one day. But I didn't know. But he does. So wherever you're at in your life, and whatever you're dealing with, and whatever you're walking through, guess what? He knows. He said, I've got plans for you. I've got plans for you, Shane. Don't matter where you've been in the last however many years you are old. 
Well, 40 exactly? 241 March 13th. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the reason I say that is, is my youngest, my oldest one's going to be 40 next Friday. Like, mmm. <laughs> anyway, God says, I got plans. He says, I know. Now, watch what he says. I've got plans. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. The word Lord there is Jehovah. We've talked about Jehovah now several times in the last few weeks. It means I am that I am. When he told Moses, you tell him I am sent me. I am that I am. The word is Jehovah there. So Jehovah has got plans for me. And if you notice there, he gets personal. He isn't saying I got plans just for Judah. And he is saying that because he's writing it to them. But you know, a country's made up of people just like a family's made up of people. So if God has a plan for my family, it means he's got a plan for me. If he has a plan for America, that's going to affect me because I live in the nation, right? So God's saying, okay, I got a plan for you. You want to know what it is? Well, let me give you the first little clue here. If you sit in this church week after week and you're blessing the Lord week after the week, one of the plans he has is for you to know him. He wants you to know him intimately. His plan is for you to be a worshiper, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because Romans 8 tells us that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God says, hey, my plan for you first of all is that you know my son and thereby you know me. Because if you've seen the son, you've seen the father. Is that what he says? That's what he says. Well, let's continue down the path here. I know the plans I have for you, declares Jehovah. Plans for welfare. The word there is shalom. We know what shalom means. Shalom means peace. King James, I think, says peace. New American Standard says welfare. They go hand in hand, I think. Because for, for, for God to want me to be at peace, that is for my well-being, is it not? That's for my welfare. This ain't food stamps. This is the welfare of your well-being of your spirit, soul, and body, right? And that's what God does with us. He says, all right, so I know the plans I have for your welfare, for your peace. There is nothing worse in life than to be miserable and not be at peace. Do you know that you can be in the midst of calamity and still walk in peace? Do you know that you can be in the midst of calm circumstances and be an absolute wreck on the inside? So, it's like, well, wait a minute. There's some things in life that I cannot change. Isn't that right? Isn't it better to be in the midst of those situations in a spirit of peace than in turmoil? To have calmness instead of chaos? How many of you know that sometimes we produce our own chaos? Don't we? I mean, we absolutely produce our own chaos. wasn't going to share this, but it just hit me, so I will. Telling Jerry the story this morning, uh, we were fishing yesterday, and we were in two boats, but Joshua was coming down, and he didn't feel well, so he didn't come, so he wasn't fishing with me, and because of the way my boat's set up, I have a depth finder in the back and a trolling motor, my bow trolling motor's in the front, operates off a foot pedal, and my brother has a smaller boat, I mean, they're, they're, they're both like 14 feet, but he has a shallower boat, and he's got a handheld electric motor on the back. So he said, yesterday, so let's put Spanky in your boat, and that's his son-in-law, 
he'll run the trolling motor and you can read the depth finder and then I'll just follow you guys. So we did. We find the fish about 10.30, we finally get on them, I, the indicator showed them, we started catching them, we were catching them left and right. And we're about from here to that wall, maybe a little further, maybe a little further than that, maybe 40 yards or so from my brother. And all of a sudden a fish gets on one of the lines and he grabs the pole and so he's got the fish on. And about that time a fish gets on the line he's got over here. So when you troll, you have multiple poles. Sometimes seven or eight poles. And you got them in rod holders and you're working them. And so one gets here and so as it gets here, the way he had it turned, the fish started pulling the rod holder, pull it out of the rod holder. So he reaches for it and it jerks out of his hand. It's, a, it's one of his favorite rods. It's one of these Shakespeare ugly sticks. And it zips over the transom and it's gone. So he reaches for it. When he does, he rears back, his seat came loose, flipped over, and he did a somersault and went into the water over the side of the boat. Now, we laugh now, but when I saw his feet go up and I saw him go out, the water's 53 degrees. Now, we're not up where it's 39 degrees in the Arctic because you can't live long in that. He did not have on his life vest. When he went over the back and on the side, all we saw was him go over and he hit the water and he's down in the water and we don't see anything because we're on the other side. And I hollered, Started trying to crank my motor to get over there, and it was trying to stall on me, and Spanky's trying to speed the trolling up to top speed so we can get there. We're only in 10 feet of water, but you can drown in two. Didn't know if he hit his head, and so we start over there, and all of a sudden we see his hands come up, and he grabs the side of the boat. Now, we know he's not going to be able to get in the boat because if he does, he's by himself, there's nobody in the boat, and it's a shallow boat, and it's going to fill up with water, and it's either going to turn over or fill up, and he's not going to get in it. We finally make our way around, and we're about 20, 30 yards from the shore, and he is shivering all over because it's, I mean, it wasn't a super cold day yesterday, but it was very windy, and 53-degree water will make you cold quick. So we get the boat, and we push him to the shore, and he, I guess from here to that wall, he finally stands up, and he stands up, gets over the shore, and he said, I can get in the boat. So he gets in the boat. We grabbed the rope, and then we, his, his motor wouldn't work, so we towed him back, and that was the end of the day. And of course, he's dressing undressing it there on the boat ramp about 11.30, trying to get out of those clothes and put a jacket on and goes home. So our day ended early. Could have been a calamity. Could have been a disaster. But it wasn't. Evidently, God's got more plans for him. I know the plans I have for you. Plans not for calamity. Could that have been calamity? Absolutely. I told him, and he's really sore last night. He had some back issues anyway. He's really sore last night. And it was a good advertisement to put your life jacket on all the time. And most of the time we don't. And all the years we've been around water and all the years that we have skied in a big boat and we've fished and all the stuff we've ever done, nobody's ever had that happen to them. Only takes once. But God says, we've got plans for your welfare for your peace and not for your calamity. And he never panicked. We didn't panic, but I mean adrenaline is rushing because as soon as I see him go over and I holler and we start trying to get rods in and get over there to him, he's in the water probably a total of about 10 minutes before we could actually get him out. Because we're trying to get there and get the boat crank and we were trying to push the trolling motor into the wind. So that was making it difficult while I'm trying to finally get the motor crank and we get over to him, zip around the side and you know get him over there. But it could have been calamity. God says, hey, I know the plans I have for you, plans for peace and welfare, not for calamity. And then he said, to give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. Hmm. 
It doesn't matter what your age is. Unless you are clinically depressed, you are looking forward to a future, aren't you? No matter what stage in your life you're in. These three ladies right here and this lady and this young man right here are probably looking forward, wanting to know and kind of thinking, I wonder what my life's going to turn out and what my vocation is. That's the planning stages they're in. I'm at that stage that says, I don't care anymore, I just want to retire. Just get me there. i got four years. Just get me there. That's what I want to do. Don't have any more aspirations to make a lot of money or do all that. I just want to retire. I want, of course, you've got to have money to do that, obviously. But for a future and a hope. Chuck, how far are you away from retiring? Five years, and he all of a sudden has major back surgery in October, November, October. And here he is now, five years out, third back surgery. Doctor tells him, he goes back this Thursday, well, you can't go back to that kind of work. He's five years out. He's done the same work for the last 25 or 30 years. What's he going to do? God says, hey, I still got a future for you. It may not be the future that the House and County Board of Vacation wants for you, but I got one for you. So the thing is this. No matter what they tell him, God says, hey, wait a minute. You need to understand I'm in control. You can be broadsided by a vehicle and be in a coma for a while and don't know if you're going to wake up and God says, i got a future and a hope for you. Right? Yeah. But here's the deal, folks. God ain't through with you yet. He ain't through with me yet. Sometimes, you know, even as you get older, our age, sometimes, you ever think, uh, I wonder what I'll be when I grow up? You ever think that way? I know Hugh does. We all know he thinks that way all the time. You know, what am I going to think when I grow up? You know, Jerry's back there raising his hand. What am I going to do when I grow up? Because God's got a future. And if you're thinking that way, that doesn't mean you're mature. It means you're expecting some things to happen. Right? I have expectations. I mean, i got expectations for a future and a hope. Sean and Sarah both have been recipients of what's called a Hope Scholarship. Did you get hope when you, at least at some point in your career? You get hope at some point in your career? Because we call it a Hope Scholarship. Of course, it's because it helps furnish their education through the wonderful gambling debts of the state of Georgia so that they can get an education so they can better themselves. And they call it the Hope Scholarship because they hope to graduate one day. Hope is not wishful thinking, it is confident expectation. Isn't it? Faith is the things what? Hoped for. Hoped for. Well, what do you mean hoped for? That I wish was going to happen? Lord, I wish you were going to bless me. No, hope means expectation. It's going to happen. <coughs> now, here's the thing that you need to understand. God said, I got plans for you. Okay, I got plans for myself. Proverbs says, you may plan your ways, but he directs your steps. Here's the deal. God bless me. I want to be prosperous. When he says, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, and the word prosper there is in the King James. It's not in the version I've got, but it was prosper you. I want to prosper. Well, what does that mean, prosperity? 
A lot of ministries out there teaching about prosperity, and it's all about money and material things. That is not the total meaning of prosperity, period. That is a small portion. And most of the time when you major on that portion, I think you're missing the mark anyway. But God said, hey, I got a complete package for you. Well, Lord, what about prospering me in health? Yes! But you know what? If I expect God to prosper me in health, I cannot eat a dozen jelly donuts every day and expect to prosper in my health. I can't. Prosper me in my finances. Lord, I got 15 credit cards. They're all maxed out. Prosper me in my finances. And what you're saying is no. Get me out of the hole I'm in. God says, hey, have you followed my formula? I'm going to tell you something here. I'm not talking about church tithe. But if you are not a giver, whether it's your family, your friends, strangers whom you don't even know, whatever, if you don't become a giver, you will never have enough. Amen. Ever. Amen. It does include it, but that's not it in itself. The point being is, is you have got to be a giver. And I'm talking about of love. I'm talking about of forgiveness. If you are a selfish individual and you do not do anything but receive, 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 whether it's love, all that stuff, listen, you are never, ever going to make it to where you want to be. Because if you want forgiveness, you've got to extend it. And the Word tells us that. It's very plain and simple in the Scriptures. So if I want an abundance, if I want people to like me, I've got to be likable and I've got to like other people. You can't be a jerk and expect people to love you. Now, I've been a jerk sometimes in my life, and I'm probably not the only one in here. Probably been many of us have been a jerk from time to time. And sometimes we're our own worst enemy. But I got plans to prosper you. Okay, Lord, you got plans, and I got to follow the plan. I've always, always battled weight. I battle weight, you know. Help me lose weight, God, while I'm eating the honey bun. I'm difficult to do. But the green salad sure helps a lot. I don't load it down with the wrong stuff. But those are plans. God says, I've got these plans for you for a future and a hope. How many of you know the scripture says it's appointed and a man wants to die? Yes. Everybody, everybody believe that? Yes. Can I tell you what I think? This is my think. This is not my theology, this is just Richard's opinion. But I think you can set an earlier appointment if you want to by doing stupid stuff. Now some people disagree with me because they say, well, wait a minute. And, and if they look at it from the standpoint of predestination, then I don't look at predestination that way. I think predestination is just I'm conformed to the image of the Son. That's what he says in verse 8. But you know what? God's given you free will. He doesn't make you make your own choices. He's given you that opportunity. My father, heavy, heavy smoker, died of a heart attack at 50. I personally think he speeded up his appointment. I think I can do the same thing. I don't think you can get in a race car and drive 200 miles an hour down a road on a drag strip without the possibility that you could lose your life. Right? Can it happen? Absolutely. And we all know, of course, that things can happen to anybody anytime. But the thing is, if it's appointed that a man wants to die, we know we're going to die. The question is when and how. Well, God, let me see if I can help you 
postpone that and do as well as I can with my life of what I've got. Unless, listen, unless, again, when I said a moment ago about clin clinically depressed, unless there's, there's something malfunctioning somewhere, chemical imbalance, brain cells not working right, whatever it may be, most people want to live longer. Right? I don't want to be somebody that retires on Monday and dies on Tuesday. And it happens. A lot of people at the base that's happened to. Steve does too. Jerry does. We all know people like that from any you know, walk of life and then they die. It's like, well, wait a minute. I got plans. I want a future. I want to do some stuff. Then don't eat the dozen jelly donuts today. Nor tomorrow. And if you're going to eat one, eat one, not the whole dozen. And, you know, so the thing is, is God's got plans for us. But you know what, folks? Listen. <coughs> Have wisdom when you do things in life. Whether it's finances, your health, your spiritual condition, whatever it is, God said, I got plans for you for a future and a hope. Amen? So where I am today, where you are today, and there's not a one of us in here in the same place. Nobody's in the same place. How long were you a chief? How long were you in the military? 30-something years? 35 years. Jerry, how long were you a chief? Chief? Five years. And you were retired. You were, how many years did you spend in? 22. Steve, how many years did you spend? 22. 22. I was in a class all this week, and most of the class were retired military from the Army, Navy, Air Force, uh, and Marines. We had at least two people from every service that were retired. One man was a 30-year chief. You just got promoted a week or two ago, didn't you? Well, now, wait a minute. You just retired back in October, was a year ago? Okay. But you mean to tell me you're starting a new career and now you're starting all over? But you're doing something different and you're getting paid for it. And the thing is, is God says, hey, I've got a future for you. And he had bypasses a few years ago, right? He ain't through with you, is he? Nope. He's got plans. Got plans. Got stuff for us to do. Amen. Are you getting the picture? Yes. You know what the word disciple is, right? Disciple is a learner. I'm going to tell you something. You don't quit learning till you breathe your last breath. You learn something new almost every day. Do we not? Amen. And God is absolutely awesome. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father.